Ever since I was a small boy, I've been obsessed with movies, books, and music. But as I grow older, I've begun to realize that these things increasingly miss the mark of fulfilling who we are meant to be. But they seem to have a common theme. They point us to a greater story, a greater adventure, a greater love, a greater joy. On this show, we dive into some of our favorite themes in songs, books, and movies so that we can begin the discussion of what our fascination with these stories actually reveal. A desire for something more. A desire for the unknown. A desire for love. A desire for God. Welcome to the adventure. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Christ and Culture. This is Steve. This is Clint. And this is Gordon. Well, we want to thank you guys for joining us for another week. This is our very special 25th podcast. Yeah. Which is great. Before we get into the special surprises inside, <laughs> Gordon, what uh, media have you been in- taking recently? So it's still kind of the same media, but I did read, start reading a new book, one that I had carried around, and I guess because of our 33 days and like... A lot of things I've been doing coming to an end on Divine Mercy this Sunday. I have this book that's called Mary, the Corridemptrix, Mediatrix, an advocate, and it's like theological defining of all those things for her mm. in our faith. Oh, that's um, awesome. So it's kind of thick, but it's really cool, really interesting read. And then because Easter ended some fasting, I wasn't able to like watch some movies. I did watch one cool new movie this week. It's on Netflix called Okja. Oh, that got a ton of awards. It was really interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's just an interesting movie about like animal rights and I don't know. It's it was good though. Visually, it was beautiful and the story was just fun. Hmm. Cool. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Steve, what do you got? So we are working on our thirty-three days. Yep. We're wrapping that up, wrapping up the novena, consecrating ourselves to Christ's divine mercy and merciful love. So that's pretty much what I've been doing. I would really like to, because of all of this, get into, I own, but I haven't read, a St. Faustina's Diary. I feel like that would be a worthwhile venture after this. And then I will be reading St. Louis de Montfort on Tuesday for my devotion to Mary, because Clint owns it, and I feel like I would like it. Yeah, and I'm finished with it now, well, because I've done the 33 days to morning glory, but I, this kind of just is a lot deeper. Yeah, and so. it definitely is. Uh, Clint, what have you been doing this past week? So, yeah, like I said, I finished the True Devotion to Mary by St. Louis de Montfort. That was actually a couple weeks ago. That was the mm-hmm. 25th. But And then last night, I actually just finished The Children of Huron, which is one of the Tolkien books. So that was good, as always. And then this morning, I just started the book... The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, which is part of the mm. Narnia Chronicles. Mm. So, and where were you this past week? Yeah, so this past week for Holy Week, I was actually up in the Appalachian Mountains. So I'll tell you guys a little bit about that towards the end. But went up there. Hopefully, a lot of you guys saw the video. If not, check out our social media. Recorded a short little video for you guys while we were up in the in the mountains. So feel free to check that out. Like Steve was saying, this is our 25th episode of the podcast, and as we promised a couple weeks ago, we want to do something a little bit special for you guys and mix things up a bit. So this week, 
all three of us are here, obviously, and we're going to be taking a little time to talk about some of our favorite saints and how they use media in their lives to convey their faith with others and different forms of media and whatever was accessible to them at the time that they were around. So, And, and I think that one of the hardest parts about this was finding one saint. Or that was my hard part. Yeah. Or yeah. Or maybe one's, <laughs> he's got two this today. But but finding just like a saint or two, because there's just so many awesome saints, and the saints are always using some form of media yeah. to convey the message, especially these great evangelists that we've had in our 2,000 year history. Seriously. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of the time when we think of saints, we think of people who are just sitting on their knees praying all the time, and that's not really the case. They, they live these very real lives, and a lot of them took advantage of the different forms of media. And they might not always be media that we think about today as mm-hmm. media, but they all used something within their culture to convey what they believed with others. Right. We're gonna, I wanna sort of define what we're talking about when we talk about saints. So anyone within the beatific vision, so we are counting those that are blessed. They are in heaven, technically speaking uh, and then obviously saints honorable mentions for some venerables like fulton, fulton sheen, sheen who is not quite a blessed or saint yet or you, actually uh, one that I, i'm going to shout out for is roberto clemente the baseball player yeah because they are checking into his potential canonization yeah because he passed away on the plane as he was making sure that like supplies made it to the poor people in south america right they were continuously being sold and so he went on the plane to ensure that it would get there and that's how he died so yeah i didn't even think about him that's a really good one too yeah hopefully he gets canonized and then we can talk about him <laughs> a little bit more yeah that would be sweet but i mean honestly we look at anyone from saint paul and mm-hmm. his letters and stuff and the way that he used the culture of the people that he was talking to all the way to kind of our modern missionaries and evangelists on EWTN and like all these radio shows and podcasts and all that different stuff. We even see movies and and videos and stuff. I think there's three major Christian movies out like this week or within the past couple weeks or something like that. So there's all these different forms of media and we can find Christ expressed through every single form of media throughout history if if we look for it. And that makes sense because the living word of God is actively moving, working, and revealing himself to us everywhere and at all times. So I want to start off with my personal favorite saint of all time, St. Maximilian Kolbe. So a little bit about him. He was born in Poland in 1894, and his real name actually wasn't Maximilian. His real name was Raymond. As a child, he was a little bit of a troublemaker. And he always wanted to be a soldier when he grew up, which is kind of ironic once you hear about his adult life a little bit. And one day after making some trouble, his mom said to him, Raymond, what will become of you? And that like, it really struck him when his mom said that. And he started to think about that question, what, what will become of me? And so he has this quote where he said, that night I asked the mother of God, what was to become of me? Then she came to me holding two crowns, one white, the other red. She asked me if I was willing to accept either of these crowns. The white one meant that I would persevere in purity, and the red one that I should become a martyr. I said that I would accept them both. So he's 
only about 12 years old at this time. And he's already accepting the chastity and, and the, the death of a martyr for his entire life. And so from that day, he had this really strong devotion to Mary. And by the time he was 16, he had already joined the Franciscan order. And then within a few years, by the time he was 21, he had earned a doctor in philosophy at the Pontifical Gregorian University in Rome, which if you've heard of that, it's extremely very well known, prestigious university. And I think he might've even graduated with honors, if yeah. I remember right. And I mean, a doctorate by 21, it's pretty intense. And then the other thing is within a few more years, he had a second doctorate in theology too. The man was brilliant. Yeah. And so during his studies over in, in Rome, he saw a lot of people in Europe and especially just outside the Vatican demonstrating against the church and against the papacy. And he decided right there to dedicate his life to working for their conversion with the help and intercession of Mary. And he founded a group called the Militia Immaculata with the purpose of accomplishing that exact goal. So basically the group is a bunch of seminarian friends when they first started out and they really just wanted to use the intercession of Mary to help convert the entire world. So not long after he was ordained, uh, by the time he was about 24 years old, he began publishing a periodical called The Night of the Immaculate. Night with a K, not like nighttime. <laughs> and so we already see this idea of him being a soldier kind of playing out into the militia idea and into his uh, different writings and stuff like that too. So soon he had permission to found a brand new monastery where the the friars there were just dedicating their, their life's work to printing different periodicals and pamphlets and stuff like that. And so they would send it out all over Europe, essentially. So they had their own publishing printing press. And then he traveled to Japan and India and a little bit to China. And while he was over there, he founded more monasteries with more printing presses in the different languages too. So he would establish the monastery there and then slowly help the different friars learn the language so that they could preach to the people in those countries as well. And so through his pamphlets, his books, and his newspapers, they were able to get religious information and news to over a million people throughout the world in the late 30s and early 40s, which is pretty remarkable, especially for a monastic organization. The other thing is, a lot of people don't know this, but he also had a radio station, which at the time, radio was kind of the main form of media. It know? was also like the newest thing around. Yeah, it was, a, it was a big deal. And I didn't know this until recently, but he also had plans to start his own film studio where mm. they, they could make video too. So that would have been really cool as well to see the, the friars put that together as well. Yeah, but unfortunately, yeah. 1939 rolled around. Yeah, and the Polish invasion... Well, the invasion of Poland by the... <laughs> by the Germans. By the Germans. Yeah. You got it. <laughs> the Poles don't invade anyone, <laughs> let's be honest. Uh, but they do produce, like, amazing saints. Oh, seriously? Like, some, like, the saints that have come out of Poland, I'm like, man. Like, makes me proud of my Polish ancestry. 
Oh, you're Polish? Yeah. Like a lot of Polish. I didn't know that. Yeah, my grandmother was like off the boat Polish. Look at him. Or my mom's grand. Yeah, my mom's mother, but she passed away. So dang. Yeah. Yeah, dude, the Poles are awesome. They got some amazing Catholic and Christian heritage. But yeah, so the Nazis invaded Poland, and Colby was arrested along with the other friars who were still at the the monastery with him at the time. And after a few months in prison, they were released, and Colby went back to his work publishing. And he started to hide and give supplies and health care to different Jewish refugees. And then in a lot of his publishings and in the radio show, uh, he and the other friars were openly denouncing the Nazis and their actions. And he made a specific point to promote Polish culture as he was doing so, which obviously was something that angered them a lot. So he was soon arrested again, and this time he was brought to Auschwitz uh, concentration camp. And this is kind of where his most popular story comes from. So while he was there, he was brutally, brutally treated by the guards because they knew what he had done, and they knew that he was a Catholic priest. They would force him to do kind of the heaviest work, and he would always do it joyfully, without complaint. And then one time, supposedly there was three men that tried to escape. So what happens at Auschwitz when someone tries to escape is they choose 10 innocent people that they starve to death as punishment to try and scare people from trying to escape again. And so they lined up all the prisoners and the officer went through and selected 10 different men to go off and starve in this bunker. And they get to this one man whose name I can't even try to pronounce. <laughs> because it's very heavily Polish. Uh, so they, they choose him, and he falls to his knees and says, essentially, please, not me. Uh, I have a family. I have children. I'm a father. Please don't choose me. So he starts crying, and Maximilian Colby steps forward and volunteers to take his place. And for whatever reason, the, for whatever reason, the officer actually says yes, Maybe it's this moment of compassion, or maybe he just wants to finally destroy Colby, who had kind of stood up to him for so long. So, with that being said, the Colby and the other nine go into this bunker. They're not given food or water at all, and the guards who stood outside, they said afterwards that it was surprising to them because typically they hear screams, as this is happening, it makes sense that you would hear screams. They're, they're starving and they're dying. But this group was actually singing songs of praise most of the time they were in there, led by Maximilian Kolbe. So they were in prayer. They were trying to find hope and joy, and he was kind of the head of that. And so eventually, over the next two weeks, everyone except for Maximilian Kolbe passed away from starvation and dehydration. And for whatever reason... God was keeping him alive. You know, no food, no water, nothing. Only prayer was what he did all day, every day. And they started to get upset because he wasn't dying. So they came in with, I believe it was carbolic acid, and they injected it into his arm. And Maximilian Kolbe, with a smile, looked up at the person uh, who was coming in to execute him and gave him his arm, ready to go to God. And... The ironic thing is, he died on August 14th, and August 15th is a Marian feast day, 
the day of the assumption. And so we see kind of this connection of his devotion to Mary throughout his life. He dies the day before and is cremated on a Marian feast day. We see his martyrdom crown come to pass. We see his purity crown come to pass through his priesthood. And then after five more years in the concentration camp, that man that he had saved by stepping in for his life, he actually survived until the liberation of the camp. And many years later, he was actually there the day that he was canonized as saint. He was in Vatican City. So he got to be there for that. That's Maximilian Colby. He used just about every form of media possible. Awesome guy. If you want to learn more about him too, one of my favorite books about him, it's called Colby, Saint of the Immaculata by Brother Francis Mary Calvillage. So you can check that out too. And we'll have details in the notes below the podcast too. Can you imagine like he had to rate he was on the radio so like yeah thanks for listening to maximilian colby please check out my previous writings and <laughs> yeah the blog i've been printing. <laughs> yeah right that's funny he is definitely goals <laughs> yeah steve what you got yeah yeah maximilian colby's awesome i ended up picking a blessed i picked blessed pierre giorgio Frasati. Yeah. Who is kind of if we had a patron for the podcast, I guess it would probably be Frasati, especially with our welcome to the adventure sort of tagline that we use. Yeah. And you're about to find out why. Exactly. So Blessed Pier Giorgio Frasati was an Italian man. He was born in nineteen oh one to very wealthy family. His mother was a painter and his father was founder and director of a newspaper and was highly influential in Italian politics. At the time, uh, he held positions as both a senator and ambassador to Germany. And from an early age, he joined the Marian Sodality and the Apostolate of Prayer and obtained permission to receive daily communion, which was rare at the time. So he was one of the few people at the time to receive daily communion, which we could take advantage of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, go to Mass. <laughs> and he developed a deep spiritual life, uh, which he never hesitated to share with his friends there's a story when he was younger of his father refused to help a man because like a poor man because the guy was drunk and this led Pier Giorgio to like weep to his mother for his father's like hardness of heart because he refused to help this man in need he would very often give all that he had to the poor he spent a lot of time serving the sick the needy the orphans um, and servicemen returning from World War One, especially those who were heavily injured mm -hmm. there, there are times where he gave like a really expensive jacket to a man who needed a coat he would oftentimes come home without shoes because he would give his shoes to the poor he would give his bus fare to the poor which would which would make it hard for him to get home <laughs> yeah so he would have no bus fare no shoes and still have to like walk or run home yeah uh, and he would have to get there because he was hiding a lot of this from his family because his father was an agnostic really thought of it as a waste of money uh, he would get scolded a lot. He became a mining engineer so that he could, quote, serve Christ better among the miners. For his entire life, he strove for serving the poor. This led St. Pope John Paul II to declare him a man of the Beatitudes after his death. In 1919, he joined the Catholic Student Foundation, an organization known as Catholic Action, which he was a very active member of throughout a lot of his life. Uh, he's actually one of the patrons of Catholic Action now. 
Uh, he was a very active member of the People's Party. He started dipping into politics, not quite to the heights of his father. To the heights. To the heights. <laughs> but he was a big part of it. They promoted the Catholic Social's teachings based on Pope Leo XIII's <laughs> encyclical letter, Rerum Novarum, which I might be mispronouncing. I'm sure someone will let us know. No, that's, that's right. pretty correct. Yeah. He also started a newspaper called Memento based on the same principle. So he was starting this newspaper. He was getting involved in politics. He's very much out and active in the world using this newspaper and political platforms to spread the message of Christ. That's sort of where his media comes in. Uh, one of the other things that he did a lot is he was very big into sports, right? And this is why we keep talking about to the heights and his adventuring. And speaking of Clint being in the mountains, he was an avid mountain climber and sports sort of guy. He was a very manly man sort of figure. Um, he loved climbing mountains, uh, and he always likened it to our Christian faith, right? To the heights of climbing this mountain, getting closer to God. He often went to theater, to the opera, to museums. He loved art and music. Actually, he could quote entire passages of the poet Dante. So he was very into media of the time. That doesn't surprise me. Yeah, just just an awesome, awesome guy. He just sounds like a guy you'd want to hang out with. Yeah, you know? I met a guy who came to Houston that is one of the miracles of that might like get him switched from like a blessed to a full canonized saint. Really? Oh, wow. And he was telling his story, and he was up on the roof probably drinking he refused to specify for whatever reason but he basically fell off this like two or three story house and was put into a coma which was crazy in itself because he probably should die but the doctor's basically like he'll never come out of this coma like there's a zero percent chance like he's just too heavily damaged and if he does get out he'll be severely brain damaged and his i think aunt heard of blessed pierre giorgio and like had the whole family praying a novena to him like they never told him this mm -hmm. well he ended up making a full recovery and it was like three months after he was playing sports and he was like perfectly fine which wow. is like an amazing recovery which is in itself that was sort of the miracle but while he was in a coma he was in his like college house and there was just like a guy in the kitchen he was like playing xbox and he like heard something downstairs so he went downstairs and there was this guy and he was like hey it's like who are you and he was like yeah, I'm Giorgio, I'm your new roommate. Uh, and he was like, I already have roommates. And he's like, oh, well, they're not here right now, but I am. And so, yeah. And so he spent like all this time <laughs> like, like knowing this guy, right? And like he said, all he, he remembered from like the coma is the entire time he spent with Giorgio in that, like he was never a idle man. Like he was always like building new additions to the house. Like he was just <laughs> like yeah, he was like building things and like crafting stuff. What an awesome roommate. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, and just like this, this this great guy. And he eventually got out. And I forget all the story of it, but it really stuck with me when I heard him speak. But he he got out of it, and he told his parents about this later, and they like told him about how they prayed his novena. And there were all of these things. Uh, and then they went to like a family member or something. And they were like how he introduced himself. And he's like, that's how he introduced himself to like friends. Like that's like the way he did it. Like the verbatim, like how he introduced himself was like how he would have introduced himself. And so that's currently being looked into as, as this, another miracle. Huh. That's so awesome. that's really, really cool. That sounds like a movie. Yeah, I think it should be. It'd be great. But yeah, he was, 
he was an awesome, awesome person. In fact, so he actually died because he contracted a disease from the people he was serving. Um, but he was so caught up in serving others that when he was on his deathbed with a paralyzed hand, he scribbled a message to a friend asking that the medicine be for the injections be taken to a poor man who he had been visiting, right? That was like one of the last things he did. It was on the eve of his death. Um, and his funeral was a surprise to everyone who knew him because the streets were lined with the poor and these people that, that knew him. And that like shocked his parents that all of these people, like it was like the whole town just like showed up to this guy's funeral. Because he kept it a secret. The yeah, whole because time. he kept it a secret. And it was such a secret that all of those poor people were astonished that this very humble, holy man that they knew was the heir to the Frasadis. <laughs> yeah. Like mm-hmm. this like super influential rich family. And they were like, what, that was a Frasadi? It was like crazy. Um, one thing I forgot to mention, this is like one of the coolest stories of him. He was protesting the fascists in Rome. He was stood up to police violence and rallied the other students. So he grabbed the group's banner, which the Royal Guards had knocked down to the ground, and he held it even higher, and he used the banner's poles to deflect blows from the guards Ooh, as they protested. Yeah, the people sing, singing the song of the bang. Yeah. Like, sounds like later. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was awesome. So he was, he was a super cool guy. He's like, he's like, you hear his stories, and like, he's just kind of the saint that you'd want to just like grab a beer with. Yeah. You know? Yeah, well, I know, going back to, like, him climbing mountains, he would, like, invite just people to hang out with him. And yeah. they would just, like, hike. And, you know, if someone was, like, not an avid mountain climber and he saw them, like, slowing down, he would be like, oh, I just hurt my foot. We should rest and, like, slow down. And we're like, we're just going too fast for my own pace, even though he, like, was very well fit. And, and then when they would, like, camp out for the night, he would just be like, all right, who wants to praise and worship? And, like, he would just sing songs and they would pray. and. Yeah. People that like weren't religious were like, because he was just so entertaining, like praying with him. Yeah. And his deal t- when he took them up was, if you're gonna come with me, we have to go to Sunday mass first. Yeah. Yeah. And so they'd go to mass and then they'd go up into the mountains and then they would pray together, <laughs> and they'd be like having fun, and still like finding yep. Christ too. So. Yeah. I, I thought I don't know how true this. Is. I think he used to do things to where like, I want to say he was really good at billiards or something. And he would like, I would believe that. he would basically scam people with it to like, you know, like pretend he wasn't good and then lay out that they had to go to mass with him if he won. And then he was just amazing. So he would just hmm. destroy them and they'd have to go to mass. With <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's a story. I don't know if he like scammed them, like acted bad, but he would definitely like challenge people to, I think pretty sure he would challenge people to billiards. And then if he won, they had to go to church with him and he would like always win because he was really, really good. I that's think it was really billiards. There was one. Th- I forget exactly what it was, but I'm, I'm pretty confident. It was <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, it's it, he's just a cool guy. Moving on, Gordano. So like, like Steve said earlier, it's hard to pick one. So I had I narrowed it down to like five, and <laughs> then narrowed that down to like two. But I'm gonna start with Saint Nicholas, the guy we all know now. I never heard of him. Yeah, I know. You you might have. He's not Santa Claus, but <laughs> you might have. If you know who Santa Claus is. Then you essentially know of Saint Nick that uh, Saint Nicholas is where the real one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah oh, yeah. I do have to say that we had in my theology department in college, we would have a Christmas party, and every year they would have someone come in dressed as Saint Nick, not 
Santa Claus, but like an actual bishop with a cane, and he would come by and give us like little um, golden chocolate coins, yeah. and then he would leave. Yeah, also, awesome. yeah, that was like our Christmas tradition. If you're ever in um, like religious education or anything growing up, when we did this, we like leave the shoes outside in the hallways, yeah. and then like you look later, and there's like candy canes and food and gifts in there, so like that's also. All stems from St. Nicholas. The big reason I wanted to talk about him was uh, he punched a guy. But yeah, we'll face. get there. We'll get there. So, Wait, what? A saint punched a guy? <laughs> yeah, well, Tarantino this. So St. Nicholas, also called Nicholas of Mira, Nicholas of Bari, was born in the city of Patara during the 3rd century. We actually don't know a ton about him early on. Um, but we do know like that was the area Patari was... Of Greek heritage at the time but that's what we now consider Turkey and he came from wealthy parents just like Blessed Giorgio his parents were very wealthy and they raised him to be a very devout Christian but they died early on so they died while he was still young and his growing up his focus stemmed from the teaching of Jesus to sell all you own and give your money to the poor and so early on he ventured out took a pilgrimage to Egypt and when he came back, he, very shortly after that time, like, grew in to become the bishop of Mira. And during, from before then to after then, he had this huge, obviously, inheritance from his family who passed away, like I said, were wealthy. And he just used that inheritance left and right to minister to the sick, to the suffering, to the needy, to the poor. Um, and these were the actions that became really well known like the the one thing that we know or people give him as a stigma is that he's known of his act of secret gift giving mm -hmm. or, and which gives us the idea of like leaving gifts and shoes um which stems from one of the legends a lot of the things with saint nicholas is it's like is it true is it not it's just kind of like all orally said and they're considered stories which are true and they're also considered legends though mm -hmm. which so it's it goes left and right when he was a bishop, was during the Roman rule of Diocletian, who persecuted Christians ruthlessly, like left and right. He was one of the worst. Yeah, he would just imprison them for being a bishop or being a priest. And the prisons were actually so full of bishops, priests, and deacons that there was no room left for robbers, thieves, murderers, murderers people that needed to be in prison. Um, so St. Nick was imprisoned just because of being a bishop. After coming out of prison, he was around shortly after 325 AD, which kind of his first big, I guess, kind of like media use was the first Council of Nicaea. In this council, bishops came and kind of like, they're like, okay, we need to hash out. What is our faith? What is it like that we've been taught from, you know, Old Testament from Jesus? And what, what are we going to tell people like we're supposed to believe and like we actually got to like non-negotiables non basically lay those, mm -hmm. lay those down and in this council they established they established they went over the Arian heresy they went over the parts of the Nicene Creed and established those they established a date and the observance of Easter so like the time that we're in right now they kind of established yeah, yeah. kind of back then and they established like okay what is our canon law and how can we like publicize that so everyone can know canon law and at this time like I said, the first thing they established was, and the biggest thing was the Arian heresy and the Nicene Creed, because they go back and, back and forth. So Arius at the time was preaching the idea that Jesus was a real guy, 
but Jesus was the Son of God, and the Son of God being separate from the Father. So not the Son of God and the Father being one and the same and having the Trinity. It was like a, but, a, a demigod kind of yeah, idea. Yeah, right. not fully <clears throat> divine, Correct. but above us in some way. Which, when we you know say the Nicene Creed, I believe in one God, you know, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which things we established there. This is where we come up with terms like consubstantial and exactly. homoousios. So Arius was at the council too, and he was forcibly arguing his side of the belief and was just doing it, I would say, almost like boastfully. And like, blah, blah, blah. And as he was saying it, St. Nicholas just got super enraged and fed up to where he like stormed across the other side of the room. And some say he just clocked him in the face. Some say he slapped him really hard. But in essence, he struck Arius straight in the face and just like hit him. To where it surprised all the bishops here. We're supposed to like, as a bishop, use violence or strike anything. What if that was a Christmas tradition now? Yeah. You know, like, so we, we took the, the part of St. <laughs> Nicholas with the gift giving, the secret gift giving, but we left out the part where we just punch people. Yeah, I think that that should be the church's official stance against him. <laughs> no, so he, they actually imprisoned him, right? Yeah, they did. They asked him, like, what should we do? And Constantine, who was at rule at the time, who's the one that held the whole council, was like, I'll leave it up to you guys. And they didn't want St. Nicholas, who they knew was actually very respected, very charismatic. People were listened to him. And so they're like, let's chain him up and put him in prison while this council's going on so his points don't get across. And he was met in, where one of the legends go, he was met in prison to Mary and Je- by Mary and Jesus. And they're like, why are you here? And he's like, I'm here for my love for you. And so Mary gave him new bishop's robes because they took that away from him. And he spent the rest of the night reading scripture to where the guards found him the next morning, unchained, just hanging out in this open jail cell, reading scripture. And they went and told Constantine, and they're like, all right. Most of St. Nicholas is through crazy intercessions during his life and posthumous. Um, There's story, like I said, there's stories and legends of him. He is the patron saint of merchants, sailors, repentant thieves, brewers, Children, students, all these things, but mostly like sailors were big ones. There was... Capitalism. <laughs> no way. Wrong. There's a big um, devotion of sailors at the time. He was on the coast of Turkey, and so there's been stories of using his praying to him during awful storms or getting lost at sea and then miraculously finding their way home. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been stories of one of the coolest ones I read of him. These three kids who, they weren't sure if they got lost or if they just ventured off the wrong thing in the innkeeper. And this innkeeper took him in, or this butcher, they say, they don't even really sure who, took these kids in, killed him. Goes an inn, they say St. Nicholas found his way to the same inn to, for stay, and there had a dream of what happened. And so he woke up the next day, called out the innkeeper, and then prayed to God, who then restored these three kids back to life. Um, so like crazy things right. like happen to happen left and right uh, j- in case you don't know one was at the time to get married you needed dowries to give to other families to wed your uh, girls or your daughters. daughters and this one family was poor didn't have any dowries for his three daughters and so they were going to be sold into slavery and uh, one night they just kind of woke up and found dowries 
left in the shoes that were drying near the fireplace. And story goes, St. Nicholas went through and just kind of threw it in the window, which we get the idea of stockings or shoes, those both traditions, because stockings are held over fireplaces to dry, shoes. And let's talk about like, like what an out. arm to be able to throw it through a window into shoes. Well, we don't know what fabric. details are true or fabricated, <laughs> but the uh, idea. This is true. Yeah. This is yeah. definitely the true okay. part. Yeah, I, I heard a rumor that St. Nicholas is actually the starting quarterback for <laughs> the uh, third century Turkish national team for football. Yeah, yeah, American football. Yeah. <laughs> it was and, a thing. Yeah, it of happened. course. What I was going to say earlier, uh, what I thought crazy about the Arian heresy and why I think St. Nicholas is such like a great guy and probably why they threw him in prison is like at the time it was estimated that probably 50% of the bishops were followers of the Arian heresy, yeah. so it was a pretty big one. It was huge. Uh, it was like probably one of the biggest ones we've had. But yeah, I just love the way he handled it. So most, he's really well known for his intercessions and a lot of things happened posthumously as well. Um, the other saint... I wanted to pull and talk about and mention was St. Vitalis of Gaza. Like Clint and Maximilian, St. Vitalis is actually one of my favorite saints. Well, I can't really say of all time. I, I have like a top three, but he's in that top three. Um, not really well known as far as like his history. So they know he was born naturally because everyone is born. Uh, <laughs> and then somewhere along the way, whether he was born there or grew up and ended up there, he ended up in Gaza where he was a monk and a hermit. Because he was a hermit, it's probably why we don't know a lot about him. But his story begins at the age of 60. Once he was 60 years old, he felt a draw, a call, I don't know if it was out of prayer or what, to travel to Alexandria, Egypt. Legend states that he acquired the name and addresses of every prostitute in the city, but that could be here or there. Prostitution at the time was huge, especially in Egypt and there. For me, with him, this was kind of like he used an opportunity of a business or something that was relevant at the time to minister. wasn't necessarily media, but he used like this ongoing as a doorway into helping teach Christ mm -hmm. and who he was to them and here's their love for them. So whether, whether he actually knew every name and every address, what he would, did was he became a day laborer in Alexandria who would earn wages just enough to where after he was done, go buy like a quick small meal to eat and then spend the rest of his money on purchasing a prostitute for the night. He never indulged in their services, but what he would actually do was request that they would not sin for the rest of the night. If they agreed, and it was obviously up to them, some were like caught up in the business and the money and they're like, no, I need, like, I, or the fear of getting in trouble. Mm -hmm. um, so some didn't agree, but if they agreed, he would then preach to them and t teach them about their own dignity, about their value as women, and this was before like theology of the body, but like in essence, that idea yeah. for them as women and being prostitutes. And then for the remainder of the night, he would pray over them, pray for them. In the end, we know that he died. Oh, well, actually another thing was he told them afterwards, don't tell anyone I was here or don't tell anyone if you do tell them I was here, what I was doing. So he wanted to keep it secret. Him and St. Nicholas both did things out of humility. They didn't want to be known. They kind of did it in secret. He died being struck in the head one day walking home and was injured but found his way back home where he finished dying. And they say he died while praying. Rumor has it that he was either he was either struck in the head by a Christian that saw him leaving the brothels. And he's like, he was a monk. So seeing a monk leave the brothels was like, what are you doing? And 
struck him in the head to kill him. Or it could have been a pimp who had found out he was ministering to prostitutes who some left the industry and got mad and found the guy and struck him. So they don't really know who killed him or why. But it is said that at his death, when they carried his body to the grave, kind of like with Giorgio, all the prostitutes kind of came out and had like this candlelit vigil mm-hmm. following him to the grave and finally shared their stories of like, this is what he was doing mm-hmm. and this is why I'm no longer a prostitute. Or yeah, And a lot of them were like holy uh, mothers and, yeah. and things like that. Like they yeah. really turned their life around, which I thought was beautiful. So just like him and that story and like the dangers he's probably putting himself in. But also imagine he was doing that at age 65, 60 onward was insane to me and yeah that is my two saints cool huh? two saints, two saints. <laughs> <laughs> so we want you guys to think this week about how are you using media in your life are you using it to glorify god and share him with the world or are you using it to escape reality to become slothful or to envy others so my challenge for you this week is to intentionally do something to use media to share your faith with someone. You don't need to have a podcast or a TV show. Maybe for you, just share your faith on social media if that's something that you don't normally do. Or maybe you reach out to someone you haven't seen in a while and ask how they've been. Be creative with what you do and please let us know what you do. We would love to hear all about your creative ways of using media so maybe hopefully one day when you're a saint we can talk about you on here but yeah so let us know reach out to us you can get a hold of us via our email which is in the notes on twitter at at on the adventure 2 or on facebook or if you see us in person reach out to us as well just a little bit of something for you guys we are thinking of getting some merch together yeah uh, that we can use as prizes and, and we can get to you guys so if you are artistically inclined, which I am not. I am not. Gordon kind of is. I kind of am. <laughs> yeah. But if you guys, we're going to sort of open it up to you guys. We'll mention this in the next couple weeks, I think. But if you guys could submit designs, if you guys submit a winning design, we will send you free merch yeah. as a prize. Yeah. yeah. Please, if you are remotely artistically inclined, please consider that. Yeah. You can email it to us, however that works. So please send that, guys. Please reach out to us, email us, Twitter, all that stuff. So any any closing shout-outs that you guys have? I got some. Mm-hmm. So first off, like we talked about a few times, last week I was up in the Appalachian Mountains. Spent a lot of time in prayer for you guys, and I also met some really cool people. One of those is a guy who goes by the name 8 Mile. Mm. So that's a cool thing up in the trail. Apparently, no one uses their real names. Okay. Uh, we all have trail names. So I got to go back to my camp name, Strider, again. And the very first day we were in the mountains, we met this guy, 8 Mile. And we were filling up our water. We were pumping water, filtering it out of a stream. And he was there, too. And as he was walking away, he said, hey, don't mind me. I mumble as I, as I hike. It's just me praying the rosary. And we're like awesome <laughs> and we're like we're catholic too and so we talked and he was going really quick and we were going really quick because we were only there for four days we ended up doing about 60 miles in four days and he kept pace with us the whole time uh, which is pretty impressive because he's going all the way from georgia to maine and so we hung out with him we talked about our faith and his stories he had an amazing story sounds like he might be 
possibly coming to visit in Houston after he finishes. So we'll be checking that out. But 8 Mile, if you're listening, this is a shout out to you, brother. Be safe out there. We'll be praying for you. And then I also want to give some shout outs to some listeners. New listeners. Seabreeze397. I don't know what your real name is, but you've been listening to a ton of episodes. So I want to give a shout out to you. Shout out. And then Nathan Wagner, a new listener as well. So shout out to you guys. Thanks for listening. Do you guys have any? I really don't. I mean, I'd love to shout out my other saints. <laughs> Saint shout out. Uh, I want to shout out. I saw. So as I think we mentioned last week, Gordon is a contributor to From His Roots, which is this sort of scripture uh, men's reflections. And then I have signed up to be one. I haven't written a reflection yet, but uh, I will be soon i uh, want to give a shout out to the founder of that ryan um, i know he's i think started listening to our podcast at least listen to the last one so yeah, yeah that, cool. that would be a good shout so out. i want to i want to go ahead and shout out to him for all that he's doing and for kind of supporting us in the podcast as well by listening so as i as we mentioned guys please reach out to us we'd love to hear from you if there's any media you're in taking or anything you'd like us to cover please go ahead and reach out and